you pray with me? God and Father, as we come to reflect on your word, I just pray that you might be near to us, be teaching and instructing us, helping our hearts to just grow in understanding and um, yeah, repentance and faithfulness. Be with all of us sinners as we sit under your word, that we might listen and hear it. Be with me, a sinner, as I preach it. Pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, so we've been preaching through the book of Romans, which some of you might be raising your eyebrows because Matthew 4 is not part of the book of Romans. Um, and you might notice we haven't this Sunday, and we're actually not going to for the next couple of Sundays either. This is an FYI. So Lent starts this Wednesday, which is the season before Easter, and we're going to be doing a Lenten series from the end of the book of Matthew, reflecting on some of the kind of last stories and sermons that Jesus preaches And after that, we will come back to Romans, so don't worry, or worry, I guess, depending on how you were feeling about the sermon before now, but a word of, a couple words of explanation about that. This morning, I thought, since um, we haven't spent Lent together before, uh, because I started here at, on Easter Sunday of last year, that it might be worth taking a sermon to reflect on a few things. First, just a word of explanation for you guys about what that word is, right? So there are certain seasons and special days that the church historically has kind of marked off to focus on different parts of Jesus's life and work. Some of those everybody basically in the world that we live in recognizes, like Easter and Christmas. Others you're only going to find in very certain churches, like Epiphany and Pentecost and Ash Wednesday and All Saints Days. And you'll notice different churches recognize more and less of those parts of the church here, right? So for instance, if you, if you grew up in like a Catholic or Anglican background, you might feel like every other week there was some saints festival or something. There are certain Bible churches on the other side of the spectrum that won't even celebrate Christmas because they view it with suspicion. And the rest of us fall somewhere in between. And so just a word of explanation about that in general. I think there are two mistakes that you can make when you get to things like the church calendar and an idea like Lent. Two mistakes. One is to treat them legalistically, to see them as something that every Christian has to observe and observe in a certain way. And that's a mistake because it goes beyond the Bible. It's always a sin to bind people's consciences beyond what Scripture commands. And there is no verse that says, on the first Sunday after the Paschal full moon, thou shalt celebrate Easter or anything like that. Lent and Advent and Christmas and Easter and all of the other things that we mentioned, they're tools that were created by the church, not rules that we have to follow. But they are tools, and they can be very useful tools to us. It is just a basic fact of human life that if you don't set aside time to do something, it's not going to get done, right? I mean, if there's a hobby that you want to take up, or that room that you want to get clean, or that junker, project car in your garage that you want to fix up, or whatever it is, if you don't kind of set aside specific time to work on that thing, right, it's not going to get done. And the church calendar is meant to kind of work as an acknowledgement of that reality, which is to say that it's trying to set aside seasons that it says are to celebrate, and seasons to mourn, times to reflect on Jesus's birth, and life, and death, and resurrection, and reign, and return, that it's trying to say that there's these times throughout each year that we can spend thinking about those things, and it's useful to think about them. So the church calendar is not something you follow legalistically. It's meant to serve us, not be served by us. 
I mean, just speaking practically here at Kish, there will be times, well, we'll always recognize like Easter and Christmas and some of those major holidays. You know, some years maybe we'll preach a special sermon for Pentecost or Ascension Sunday, and other years we won't, just based on kind of a prayerful sense of what's useful. But it is something that's worth thinking about, okay? And all of that said, the season that we're about to enter into in the church calendar is the season of Lent. And so before we start Lent, I want to spend a little time talking about it in particular. Usually, we pick a text and kind of walk through the text, right, on a Sunday morning for a sermon. But instead today, I want us to think about this more general idea. So Lent in Christianity is the season of darkness and longing, the season of looking forward to our need for Christ's death and resurrection, and practically, it's been a season of prayer and of fasting, Prayer and fasting. Now, prayer is pretty familiar to us, although there's always more to be said. But the idea of fasting is the kind of thing that, I mean, maybe you know exists in the church if you've been around the church, but that can be really weird to us. Some people keep these certain Lenten fasts, and other people don't. But many of us have questions about where that comes from biblically and what that all means. So this morning, rather than just kind of walking through a single text, what I want us to do is spend a little time trying to summarize what the Bible says about fasting. So first we're going to just talk about what it is, right? Because it can be a strange idea to a lot of us. And then we're going to say a few things that it isn't. And then we're going to talk about practically what fasting would look like both in life and what it might look like in the season of Lent. All right? So first, what is fasting? What do we learn from Scripture? So the simplest thing we learn is that biblical fasting is something that we're encouraged to do. I know that doesn't define it yet. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's something that we're encouraged to do in Scripture. And you'll notice that I very intentionally am using the word encouraged. What's interesting about fasting in the Bible is there is no command at any specific time to fast for, it, for everybody, right? There is no, like, all of you have to fast at this time for this long or something, but we regularly see it encouraged in the Bible. It's modeled for us throughout Scripture, including by Jesus. I mean, our text this morning, right? This is right as Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry, and what he does is he first goes into the wilderness and fasts. So from Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, that fast is something more than just um, a spiritual discipline in this text, and we're not going to reflect on that. There's this kind of reenacting of Israel's wilderness journey and temptation in Jesus doing this. But it does also show us that fasting is something that Jesus does, right, and seems to think is important. And he tells us that it's important. One of the interesting things about how he treats fasting is that while Jesus never commands it at a specific time, he seems to assume that it's something that at times all of his followers will do. So, for instance, in Matthew 6, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. And he goes on to give some commands that we're going to come back to in a minute. But when you fast, right, is how he starts. Not if you ever might decide to, but when. Or Luke 5, the Pharisees demand to know why Jesus' disciples aren't fasting with them right now. And Jesus says that they aren't because he's here on earth with them, basically. He says, when the bridegroom is at the party, you feast, right? But then he says, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. In those days, when Jesus isn't here on earth with his disciples, which is now, 
fasting seems to be something that he expects his disciples to do. And we see fasting modeled in the example of the early church. They regularly engage in prayer and fasting. For instance, Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Or then the very next chapter again, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So it seems like fasting was part of the rhythms of the early church too. So all of that means it's probably something that we should think about doing at times. If Jesus speaks that way about it and we see it modeled that way, then while it's not a command that we can give at any specific time for everyone, it's something that all of us should think about doing at some point, okay? But we still haven't defined it, right? (laughs) So um, that leads to the obvious question, what is it? And there's two parts of that answer in the Bible. First, biblical fasting is giving something up. It's giving something up, all right? Something good, usually in the Bible, food is what they're giving up. So that's what Jesus is fasting for in our text this morning, As verse 2 kind of understates it, and I love that, after 40 days of not eating, Jesus was hungry. We know from broader history that there were different extremes that people would go to when they would fast like this. So some of the fasts, when you read about them in scripture, might have just been during the daylight hours. We know from, from texts from this day that sometimes people, you know, they would eat before the sun came up and eat after the sun went down, and then they wouldn't eat in between. And there's still, in some modern ways, that some Orthodox Jews and Muslims, um, do do certain festivals. You see that kind of modeled. There's also, we know from those texts, more rigid fasts where you wouldn't eat at all. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Luke 4, which is a parallel account, explicitly says that he's not eating at all during these 40 days. So there's a place for both of those kinds of things. And while it usually involves food, it also seems biblically like there's a place for fasting from other things. So the example that you find in scripture in 1 Corinthians 7 is Paul discussing um, marital relations, and he says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. And he's, he's talking about this broader other kind of discussion there, but again, he's talking in that text about this idea where he seems to say, well, that's something you could fast from. So fasting can involve giving up food, or it can involve giving up some other good part of life. But why? Why are you giving it up? That's the second half of the definition. Fasting is giving something up to sharpen our focus on God. It's about sharpening our focus on God, right? Paul said it in that passage we just read. He says that you're doing it so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. One of the striking things about fasting in the Bible is that it always seems to accompany prayer. Sometimes it accompanies prayers of confession and grief. It's a mark of the sadness and seriousness of repentance and of mourning. So for instance, in Joel 2, God calls his people to repent from their sin, and he says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So it can come with prayers of repentance, and it can also come with prayers of intercession, is the word people use, of asking God for specific things. For instance, when Esther is about to go before the king and seek to ask the, you know, him to not kill all of the Jews, she asks for prayer, and then she makes this request to go along with the prayer. She says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. All right? So it can come with those prayers of intercession, of making requests. And the point of all of that is not that fasting is somehow magic. It isn't like God is hard of hearing, all right? And you're supposed to give up stuff because it's like, it's, it's going to catch his attention, right? Like you're kind of yelling through this bullhorn when you fast or something like that. The idea is that fasting, giving something up is good because it is helping us to focus on God. It's stripping away a distraction for a season so that we can focus more on prayer. And that's really what's going on in that first temptation of Jesus that we read. If you look at verse 3 of, that, of Matthew 4, the tempter comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This is actually an interesting temptation. The next two temptations that Satan gives that we didn't read have to do with sin, right? But eating bread is not sinful, right? You know, I mean, when the tempter comes and says, Go ahead and, you know, and turn these stones into bread— He's not trying to get Jesus to sin, but Jesus still refuses, and he gives this reason. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's saying that the reason that he's doing this is to kind of act out and focus on that reality, that bread ultimately is not our deepest and truest sustenance, but that it is the words that come from God's mouth. And so that's the point of fasting for all of us. It is our chance to embody the belief that God is more important than anything in creation. It's a chance to try to strip away distractions and focus on prayer. That we feel the pangs of hunger or desire or, you know, whatever. The, we, we want this thing, um, and you're going to want it a lot if you've never fasted before in the middle of it. And what you do is every time you want that, you take that as an opportunity to seek to refocus those desires on God and be reminded of the centrality and power of him. Or maybe think about it like this, right? If you're not that sort of just like ideas person, this is the picture I often have of fasting. Have you ever been somewhere that's like really, truly quiet? You know what I'm talking about? Like there's all this noise around us that we just don't even recognize most of the time, right? I mean... I have three little kids at home, so obviously there's a ton of noise from that. But even beyond that kind of noise, like I come here at church, right? And nobody else is here in the morning when I get here, and it's quiet, but not really. I can still, you know, there's cars driving past on the highway, and there's the creak of the building and the furnace turning on and off and all of those noises of civilization, when you get away from those noises, you suddenly notice other noises, right? So like you go out, you know, hiking in, you know, away from towns, away from roads, and there's none of those cars or heaters, but there's more noises, right? You hear the birds singing and the animals and the bugs buzzing and the mosquitoes whirring around your head. And then you can even get away from those. I remember once going... um, going camping in the middle of winter, right? Snow on the ground and all of that. And even those noises were gone, but there's still more noises, right? You can hear the creaking of the ice on the water, and you can hear the dripping of snow as it melts. All of those layers of sound, they're all there all the time, if you actually think about it, aren't they? Right? Like if you're outside in winter... All of those sounds are there, but you don't notice the drip, drip, drip of the icicle because of the sounds of the cars going past and the heater and all of that. And the same thing is true in our lives. 
that our lives are full of noise, aren't they? They're full of all kinds of busyness and stuff. And that isn't a bad thing. Many of those things are good blessings, but in fasting, what we're seeking to do is to peel back the layers of those things so that we can hear the deeper sounds underneath, so that we're more attentive to the voice of God and we're more attentive to the cries of our own hearts. So that's the idea of fasting, okay? We're going to talk in just a minute about what that would actually look like practically. But because I know this is a strange idea to us, um, it's probably also worth noting a couple of things that biblical fasting is not, right? A couple of things that it is not. First of all, it's not about manipulating God. We've already said this, but this is probably the most important thing to recognize. We are not giving up something as a bargaining chip, okay? It's not like, God, I really want you to do this thing for me, so, so I'll give you steak in exchange for doing this thing for me, all right? That's not how fasting works. Not showing off our self-discipline in order to impress him or demand something from him. In Isaiah 58, the Lord comes... Um, after Israel for that way of thinking. They are under judgment for their sin, and they get really indignant in Isaiah 58. They say, look at all our fast, God. You owe us. They say, why have we fasted, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? They're saying, God, like, we're doing all this fasting stuff. You, you, it's time for you to uphold your end of the bargain. And God comes back hard against that attitude. In Isaiah 58, what he says is, is not the kind of fasting I have chosen this to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? None of which is to say that fasting is bad, but what God is saying is that fasting is not holiness, right? It's not righteousness, and it's not a bargaining chip you can use to cover over your sin. So, script, so fasting's not about manipulating God. It's not, it's not a lever by which we try to move God's will, all right? Instead, what it's meant to be is a lever that we're trying to use on our own hearts. In addition, Scripture warns us that fasting is not about looking or appearing holy. Fasting should not be about appearing holy. So I said we'd come back to it. In Matthew 6, Jesus warns against this. He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Which is to say, when you fast, don't publicize it, right? You don't, you don't sit down at the table with your coworkers and look over at their meals while you don't have anything and you say, oh man, that looks really good. Too bad that I can't eat it right now, you know, because I'm fasting from food for God, unlike you, right? <laughs> like, like Jesus is saying, that is not the attitude that we are meant to have when we fast. Now, that does not mean that you can't, like, tell, like, your spouse or a close friend that you're fasting from something, right? But it does mean that even then, we need to be careful of it, that we're doing that for the right reasons and not to simply make ourselves look good. The spiritual disciplines in life, prayer and reading scripture and fasting and the other ways that we do that in life, those are especially prone by Christians to being abused as ways that we try to make ourselves look good or holier than other people, all right? So we need to guard against that. And then a couple more quick things that fasting is not. One biblical fasting is not unending, all right? It's not unending. In every case that we mentioned, and in every case you find in the Bible, it is for a season, and usually a brief season, a day or a few days or a week. 
The longest fast that we ever see in the Bible is 40 days. And sometimes when Christians talk about fasting, they confuse it with just giving up a bad habit. Does that make sense? They're like, I'm going to fast from Facebook, and so I delete my account, and I mean I'm never going to do it again. Or I'm going to fast from processed sugar and never eat it anymore ever. And those are totally fine things to do, right? If that's something that you feel like you're called to do, go for it. Just that's not fasting. And the reason that it's important to recognize that is because when you do that, it just becomes about giving up the thing, not about focusing on God, which is fine if you're going to give up the thing, right? But that's not the way the Bible paints fasting. Similarly, biblical fasting is not giving up sin. It's not giving up sin. All the things that you're giving up when you fast are good things. Food is not a sin, right? It is good. You can sinfully become too dependent on it, but food itself is a blessing. And so, I mean, sometimes you hear people talk about, for Lent, for example, which we'll get to in a minute, I sometimes hear people say, I'm going to, like, give up being mean to people or being prideful for Lent. And now, first of all, good luck with that. But, um, (laughs) But regardless of that, right, I mean, you should be seeking to give those things up all the time, right? You're not supposed to say, I'm going to give up sin for three days and then go back to it, all right? And then, and that means that actually when we think about fasting, it's a good idea to go to those tried and true kind of things. A lot of us want to be innovative, but food is actually a really good place to start if you're thinking about fasting, right? Because it's clearly biblical and it's not sinful and you're not going to be tempted to give it up forever. (laughs) Um, But there's other biblical examples that are good that you can use. For example, um, Paul gives that one example about married couples or other ones. I mean, maybe the classic other thing to fast from that fits the biblical criterion would be like a hobby or something you enjoy, right? Fasting from watching TV or playing golf or whatever it is that you do for fun. You give it up for a season and use the time you would be doing that to try to focus on God. Um, there's other examples from, from Christian history. Um, some people have given up talking, which is an interesting one, although you should probably um, not do that if you like, have a job. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but things like that. Does that make sense? You're giving up good things for a season. And then one last thing that biblical fasting is not, just because I get asked about it sometimes, it's not a health strategy, right? There are diets that help people lose weight, and there are purges for nutrition and things like that. And those things can be fine, right? That's, again, this isn't saying that that's wrong. If that's helpful for you, do it. But that's not the kind of biblical category of fasting. Um, Sometimes I see books that come out that are like the Jesus diet or dieting God's way, and they seem to take the biblical teachings about things like fasting and make them that. And while, again, those might be great diets, biblical fasting is not about getting a swimsuit bod, right? It's about focusing on God. All right, so that's the idea in Scripture of fasting, what it is and what it isn't. Before we talk about putting it into practice, there's something that I was reflecting on as I worked through this sermon, right? I kind of set out to write this and found myself thinking a lot about fasting. And one of the things that struck me as I thought about it again here the last two weeks is that while it's not commanded, I do think this is something that's maybe especially important in the time and place that we live in. And that's because it seems so foreign to the way that we think about the world. I mean, we live in this culture that is self-indulgent and, and, and everything is so easy and so, so ready for us. I mean, have you ever thought about in Jesus' day, right? If you said, I want fried chicken for supper, you would like open up the recipe book and step one would be go out in the yard and catch the chicken, right? Like that, that, that's the amount of work it would take just to get food on your plate. And today you just go through the KFC drive through and get it, right? We live in a culture that is in so many ways self-indulgent. 
And we're encouraged to be self-indulgent. I mean, that word indulgent is used as a positive word, right, in advertising. It's indulgent. It's right next to, like, decadent and sinful. And I always think about when you hear those ads, like, 50 years ago, that was how they described, like, the decline of the Roman Empire because it had grown soft and selfish. So fasting is something that seems really strange in that world where all of our desires are met right away. But it's maybe especially important for us to think about doing. I mean, if in Paul's day, you struggled to remember that your food is from God, right? When it was like the thing that, when you were growing it in your backyard, then it's even harder for me to remember when I just go to the supermarket and get it in a package on the shelf. So we need to remember that all of these things around us aren't as great as they seem to be. And we need help to focus on those, on God and on prayer in the midst of that. And fasting is one of the ways that the Bible says that we can do those things, which again is not a command that all of you have to do something, but is an encouragement to think seriously about it. So then that leads to the natural question, what would that all look like practically for me? Okay? So first, let's just talk about fasting generally. Okay? And then we'll talk about Lent. So first of all, like we said, fasting is not something that we make a bunch of rules about, and these are not rules. But these are things to think about. First, just when would you fast, right? If you say, okay, this seems like something that makes sense biblically to do, when would you fast? Well, first, it's helpful to fast when we're praying for some specific big kind of thing. We're praying for something specific and big. I don't mean the kind of like everyday, like God be with me today prayers, right? But there are times that we're confronted by something that we just feel a weight to pray for. There's a health situation that presents itself or a major life decision that we're having to make. And it is very biblical in those times to seek to sharpen your focus on prayer and, you know, and your attentiveness to God's voice by fasting for a period of time. It's also very biblical to fast when you are deeply convicted of some sin. And again, that's not, there's a daily kind of repentance and conviction that Christians experience, right? Where I see some sin in my heart and, you know, and repent of it. But, um, and we're not talking about that. But there are moments in our lives when we recognize some really deep and profound sense that we have been wandering or have been sinning in this really, like, deep way. And again, it's biblical to take a couple of days and fast as we work through repenting of that sin. And then thirdly, I think it's helpful at a few points in the year to try more generally to set aside specific times where we try to fast. And that's not because there's some specific point that God commands, but it's because, like we said earlier, if you don't kind of make a plan for things, it's really easy for them to just never happen, right? To set aside specific seasons or times. Maybe just to take, to find a day in each year um, to just try to get away, right? And not like on vacation, but get away somewhere and fast and pray and reflect on the last year and the year to come or something like that. Those are general times you might fast. And then if you're going to do it, a few practical notes about how you would do it. First, decide ahead of time what you're going to do, all right? You should have a definite plan for how long you will fast and what you're fasting from. Fasting, first of all, should never be starving yourself until God answers, which occasionally people kind of slip into, right? Like we said, it's not about manipulating God. You should know going into it what you're doing and how long it's going to last. And then second, be realistic about what you're doing and how long it's going to last, all right? If you've never fasted before, try fasting for a meal or like a day, okay? Um, Or try, you know, that thing where you just don't eat while the sun is up for a couple of days or something like that. Don't decide that you're going to have like nothing but juice for a week if you've never tried to fast before, all right? 
Um, and don't, don't try to fast for 40 days, if, unless it's something that you have a lot of experience with and you consult a doctor about, okay? There's this thing we can do with spiritual disciplines where we try to, like, go from extreme to extreme, right? So, like, with prayer, it's like, well, I, I never pray, so what I'm going to do is pray for four hours every day, right? And that's just not... It doesn't work, and it's not healthy, and it can actually discourage us and be destructive. It's always wise to try to like be realistic as we seek to take the next step in that. And then last, a specific practical piece of advice, make a plan, okay? So if you're fasting from food for a day, make sure that you have a plan to drink plenty of fluids, maybe even some juice or something. And think about health issues when you make a plan, right? If you're diabetic, for example, or have another thing like that, you want to talk to a doctor, you want to make sure that you understand, you know, how to do that in a way that's healthy. And if you're giving something else up, like television or a hobby, maybe come up with a plan to go somewhere else to to pray or something so that you're not just, like, sitting and staring at your television and, you know, and imagining what's happening in that football game, okay? Be practical and be reasonable as you seek to try something like fasting. That's general advice that fits with what scripture says. And then all of that brings us to the particular topic that occasioned this sermon this morning, and that's Lent, all right? So Lent is made up of the 40 days, not counting Sundays, before Easter. And historically in the church, Lent has been a season of fasting and prayer. So how would we think about fasting when we think about Lent, right? What might a Lenten fast look like? Well, first of all, it it almost certainly will not mean for you not eating any food, right? (laughs) Because the reality is that for a variety of reasons, both in terms of discipline and health, that is probably going to be very challenging. And the church didn't practice it that way. But usually what the church has tried to do um, is encourage people to think about giving up some thing, some, you know, some good thing that they enjoy for the season of Lent, Um, The most common thing you saw historically was meat, right? You still see some traditions do that. They'll give up meat, and I mean, and that started in a time when fish wasn't considered meat, so fish is usually allowed, so you got those like fish fries and things, or in stricter parts of the church historically, people also gave up like eggs and dairy and things like that, right? Um, But that was a way that many people would fast, and some of them would take a break on Sundays because Sunday's meant to be a feast day, um, which can actually be really practically helpful with whatever you give up for Lent because, you know, if you're not used to that kind of thing, it can give you a break. But anyway, in our day, some Christians still do that, right? And other Christians try giving up something else. Maybe something else food-related. I mean, maybe you, um, you give up dessert, right? Because you're like, I don't really like meat, but oh man, that scoop of ice cream after dinner every night, like, I'm really, really attached to that. Um, or other people give something else up that makes sense to them. And as long as it's within the guidelines of what we've said about fasting, all of that is fine, right? There's freedom in all of these things. But here's what I'd suggest you think about, all right? Like I said, we're not making new laws and we're not keeping tabs, all right? But especially if the idea of fasting is new to you, it is worth thinking about when Lent starts on Wednesday, trying to give something up and use your desires for that thing to help you focus on God, okay? Again, it's not a law. Some of us might be in a place spiritually or practically, frankly, where it's unhelpful, and in that case, don't do it. But it's something for all of us to think about, okay? Alongside that, there's two other things I would encourage all of us to think about doing in the season of Lent, as we especially focus, the things that go along with fasting. 
One of those things is to pray, right? Like we said, fasting and prayer go together in Scripture. And while I want to give every freedom when we think about fasting for Lent, all of us could always stand to spend a season trying to focus on prayer, right? Even if we're not giving anything up, it is worth trying to, you know, I mean, it's always helpful to say, I'm going to right now really try to focus on spending more time in prayer. So whether you're fasting or not, be mindful of trying to set aside some time during the season of Lent to pray. If you want to join me, like I said during the announcements, we will be, I will be at the church at 6.30 a.m. on Wednesdays as one way of trying to reflect that effort to set aside time for prayer. Don't, you are not, you are not any less Christian or something if you're not here. I always feel that I really want to emphasize that to people, but it's, that's a good time or find some other time to do it, okay? Um, and if you're trying to fast from something during Lent, an especially helpful practice is to try to use the cravings that you feel over that season for those things as reminders to pray, right? So um, if you decide to give up like meat or dessert or TV or something, I promise, especially if you've never tried it before, there will be moments where you're like, I really want this thing, right? And just try to train yourself during this season to take those opportunities to say, I'm going to stop and pray for a minute. So that is one of the two things I would encourage us all to do during the season of Lent. And the other thing is to try to make it a time of longing and anticipation. The other reason that the church has always encouraged us to fast, you know, during Lent, historically, was to sharpen our appetites for Easter. And not just, like, sharpen your appetite so that you can finally do the thing that you, you know, gave up on Easter, right? But to teach us to kind of, like, long for and crave the death and resurrection of Jesus, One of the things that's easy for us, I think, as Christians is try to always just skip to the end of the story and never sit in the, you know, in the sense of longing and desire. But as we do that, as we seek to anticipate and look forward to Jesus' cross and resurrection, it actually helps us appreciate the depth of them more. Because ultimately, that's what fasting and prayer and the church calendar and all of that is meant to do, right? It's meant to kind of like help us break through the kind of just noise and busyness and normal rhythms of life and remind us of our need for Jesus. To soften just a little the noise of all the stuff around us and remind us of the things that matter most, of the greatness of God and the love of Jesus Christ and how in the face of this broken world, it is in his cross and resurrection that we find our hope. That's what we're going to be seeking to spend this time of Lent over the next few weeks together looking forward to. And that's something that I encourage all of us to just be reflecting on and thinking about as we walk into this season. Let's seek now and in every season to remember those things that as we live in a world that in so many ways is one of longing and is a fast, we look forward to the feast that rests with us in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I pray that you would just teach us, teach our hearts to, um, to trust in and hope in you. At all times, maybe especially help us as we reflect on this discipline that you um, portray for us in your word. Help us to know your grace and welcome to never make these sorts of callings a way of earning your favor. But help us also just to be mindful of the sinfulness of our own hearts and be growing us in this and every other way that you provide us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Would you sing with me?